Awaken podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, Awaken, whenever it is that you're tuning in um, to this recording. Um, we are glad to be with you in spirit. Uh, just so you know, uh, the staff uh, have meeting regularly and you're on our hearts, um, you're on our minds. We hope that you are taking good care of yourselves, that you're reaching out to the people around you, um, that you are paying attention, waking up to what's happening in the world right now. And I hope that this morning or this evening, whenever it is that you're listening, uh, will be a moment for you to do that as well. Um, we're gonna start off by playing some music together. I have a really sweet group of friends here today. Um, so I'm just thankful for these folks Jasper and Zach and Aaron are joining me and Sarah will hear more um, from those guys later but we're going to start by singing a song together um, that will encourage us to be the people of God in the world. Let's sing this together, Instruments of Peace.
to sing the song of blessing over our kids. Let's sing this together. friends. Welcome to Awaken. So glad you're here uh, and glad you're with us wherever you are. Driving, at your home, riding bicycles. I've heard some of you have done that, riding bicycles. Um, but glad you're joining us. A um, couple things as it relates to community life before we jump into the teaching for this morning. Uh, first of which is, uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited about this one, I got to be honest. We're calling it Good Morning Awaken. Think like Anchorman meets Weekend Update and Awaken Staff. Uh, <laughs> we were talking the other day at our staff meeting and we were trying to figure out like, okay, how do we lead in the middle of this? How do we be good pastors? How do we, good, how do we you know, uh, serve our community well? And we were just talking about two things. One, like we, in COVID, in this reality we now live in, we've, we've lost a sense of time. I don't know about you, but time seems to be this weird, like warped thing in the midst of this pandemic. I think one of the reasons is, uh, at least for me, I know, and, and for our staff as we talked about it, we've lost what marked time. And for many of us, that's a spiritual community where on Sundays we gather as the people of God. And this moment, this activity, this liturgy, this routine, it literally marks time. Especially for, for me, I'll, I'll say like Sunday was kind of like what my world revolved around. So we've lost a sense of like time and what marks time. But then also... Um, We've lost like a, a feedback, you know, like when, when we're all together and I'm preaching, like I can tell you're mad and I can tell that that really like touched you and you have a question and you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, whoever you is over there. Uh, and so we, we've lost that. And so we're like, what, what could we do to like, you know, replace it? So we're like, well, what if we did, what, what if we at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, Weekly, there's a group of us who are here in the church live, and um, at least for this week and the first couple of weeks, we're like the the aim is like a Q and A, so a live like conversation with this week. It's going to be me, Jenna, and Trevor. So I have the the Daniels duo. Please pray for me. And actually, if you're watching this on Sunday morning, this is going to be happening in like an hour at 11 o'clock. We'll be live on Facebook from the Awaken Community Facebook page. And it, it'll be an opportunity for you to engage with like what we've been teaching and what we've been talking about. Uh, it'll, you'll be able to ask questions. You'll be able to say, Micah, I think you're crazy. Or I disagree with you about this. Or what do you think about that? And we'll just kind of like spitball it. We'll riff. We'll, we'll be in a conversation with you. And so um, it'll be called Good Morning Awaken. I'm so excited. Uh, I haven't been excited about much lately, but that I am excited about. So 
tune in, 11 o'clock, Facebook page, and, um, and we'll, we're gonna keep doing this for, well, we're gonna, we're gonna give it a run, and if nobody shows up, we're not gonna keep doing it, but I, I hope that many of you do. And so that's 11 o'clock, Sunday mornings. Next, uh, coffee delivery. July 19th is the next time we're delivering coffee, so many of you have, you've, you've, had, you've received coffee, people have delivered it to your house. Laura and I were out last weekend, it was great seeing some of you. And so you can sign up for that, again, on the Awaken Fireside Room. Um, so you have to look for that, the Awaken Fireside Room, and our moderator will let you into that little um, private group. Or you can sign up by the Awaken Weekly, which gets mailed out every week, and you can subscribe to that on the bottom of the website page. Um, so that's July 19th. That'll come to you on the 18th. And then maybe while you're watching Good Morning Awaken, you can have some of our wildflower coffee. Last but not least, Melody is working with the, uh, all of the, the art that was created for the lament service a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we took those down because we didn't want them destroyed by the, the elements, and we have them, and Mel's working on making something with them. Maybe it's a book or an ins installation of some sort. Um, we're still working that out. But if you want yours back before we do that, we wanted to give you the opportunity to, to, to have that. And so if you do, Email melody at awakenwest7th.com and she will work to get that back to you. Otherwise, we're going to put it into a piece of art, okay? All right, that's all I've got for announcements. Let's get to it. Uh, we're going to keep going in our series Lost in Translation. We started it two weeks ago. Uh, we are in the wisdom literature of Scripture. So the Hebrew Bible split up into three categories, Torah, Nevim, and Ketuvim. Ketuvim is the wisdom literature. It includes Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, Ezra, Nehemiah, the Chronicles, actually. And so that's where we are. We're lost in translation. And I'm going to do something I've never done in lost in translation. I'm going to preach the same text that I did last week, Psalm 137. Uh, here's why. Number one, there was still like there was still meat on that bone. There was still stuff there. There were some threads that I kind of like teased a little bit, but I couldn't go all the way down there. And I was just like, "There's more." So we're just going to do it again. Um, the second reason is because I think that this moment, like as a as a community, as a church, as a, a city, um, as a country, the moment that we're living in right now is pregnant with possibility, and I don't want to miss it. I think a lot of us, uh, sometimes when we, when we like lean into hard things and conversations about race and justice and what it means to be white, like that takes uh, effort and it, it takes a toll. Like it's exhausting work. Um, and it should be because it's asking us to be vulnerable and to, to go places we maybe haven't otherwise gone. And I think sometimes our tendency is to like go in a little bit and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. And so we let off. And while I want to say, like, it's important to take breaks, and uh, I also don't want to miss the moment that we're in. Um, I, I, maybe you're not watching the news as much as you were three weeks ago when, when things were really happening in our city, but it feels a little bit like something's been exposed in the last six to eight weeks, maybe three months of our, of our uh, has been exposed in our life together as, as Americans. And I think people of color have been saying this for like decades, if not centuries, but whatever has been hiding white supremacy, whatever has been hiding structural and institutional racism, those things seem to have been peeled back a little bit and it feels like they've been exposed. And for many of us, myself included, um, I'm now to the degree that I can seeing the reality of what it's like living in our country not being white. And so, there's a lot of people, truth be told, who'd like to like put the clothes back on the emperor who has no clothes right now. 
and say like, oh, nothing to see here, right? Like, let's just dress this thing back up. And I'm not one of those people. Um, and so we want to keep going. And um, so I want to preach one, Psalm 137 again, because there's more here. And then the last one is that like, you're witnessing a cultural shift in our church, in the life of our church. Uh, if you were here last fall, we talked about uh, a, a series on justice, or we talked about a series on our values at Awaken. And one of them that we named explicitly going forward from that point was uh, a commitment to justice. And um, the work uh, in that series, I talked about the fact that the, uh, the work of reconciliation and justice is not an add-on to the gospels, but to the gospel, the heart of the, the good news about God in the world in Jesus, it's actually like the heart and soul of the gospel. And so the specific work for you and I who call Awaken Home in, in, uh, as it relates to reconciliation and justice is related to race and whiteness and what it, mean, what it means to be white and how to live in the world. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to continue to lean into that. Um, and Psalm 137 just keeps on giving uh, in that conversation. So. That's what we're doing this morning, Psalm 137, part due. Uh, if anybody remembers the terrible movies from the 90s, The Naked Gun, I think it was called, The Naked Gun, part due. That's not in the notes. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I see Laura right there and she's just going, jeez, stop. So, Psalm 137, part two. Um, and, we're going to do this, we're going to look at this because Psalm 137 functions on multiple levels. So stick with me. Like last week, um, I, I essentially argued that Psalm 137 functions on the level of, as an honest reflection of reality for those who lived it first. And really that's kind of what I in, invited you to enter into, that level of Psalm 137. Like what would it have been like to, to have been in that moment and to live that reality and to offer this, this, this you know, honest reflection of reality and then this commitment to remembering God and God's goodness and then these honest prayers from the heart. But if you keep going, and this is what I want to do today, it functions as a form and a guide for the art and music that's born out of oppression. So here's what I mean by that. What we see in Psalm 137 is the psalmist who wrote this psalm with the intention of it being repeated. Like that's what psalms are. That's what they do in Jewish liter in, in, in Jewish liturgy, right? When the, the, the people gathered, the Psalms often are things that they sang together and that they repeated or recited or chanted. And so these were songs that were to be sung over and over again. And so that at, insofar as they were, they carry the unique DNA and shaping power of music and art. And so Psalm 137 is a part of that library of work now in the world that was born out of oppression. So we're gonna explore that a little more. But then it also speaks on another level, depending on what space you occupy now in 2020. Um, for example, for me as a person who identifies and navigates the world as, as white and as a male, um, this Psalm functions as a critique of what power looks like and what happens when power is abused or overreached or uh, if you are a part of the dominant group, uh, this is a, a critique in some ways. And so this week in our time that we have left, I wanna pull two threads and then make a few con uh, conclusions or connections. I wanna ask a question about empire and um, what is Babylon to us? So if Babylon functioned or was something to the Israelites in the Bible, like what is the, what's the, uh, what's the equivalent now? What is Babylon to us? 
So I want to ask a, a question about empire, and then I want to explore like art and music as the voice of resistance or the voice of the oppressed. And then I want to draw some conclusions or ask some questions about like, okay, then what is the work for those who are in positions of power or of privilege? So that's where we're headed this morning. I hope you will go with me. Psalm 137, let's read it again. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there, our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the, on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. God, this morning as we... Uh, gather as your church, wherever we are and whenever we're listening or, or tuning into this, I pray that you would be uh, uniquely present to the preacher in this moment and to the listeners in the moments that follow. Uh, use this to build your kingdom, to bring justice, to encourage uh, forgiveness and compassion and hope and grace in us and in the world, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and the people of God said together, amen. I look forward to the day when I can hear you say amen, by the way. Okay, first thread I wanna pull is the question, what is Babylon to us? Last week I talked about empire and I'm using air quotes here because I want empire to function both specifically in its context, Babylon in the ancient world, but also generally, right? I think, um, it, it, I'm using it to describe people or powers or structures or institutions or governments or nation states that have um, conquered and used power to come over others, um, conquerors and colonizers really. So it, it includes Assyria and Babylon and Greece and Rome of the ancient world, but it also includes France and Great Britain and the Netherlands and the United States insofar as we have participated in those activities as empire. Um, so a little bit of history as we unpack this. For the Jewish people of the Bible, 734 BC, the Assyrians come in to the promised land, the one that they had left Egypt, gone through the desert, entered into, right? We call it Israel now. Uh, the Assyrians come down from the north and they conquer Israel. They first conquer the two northern tribes. There were 12 tribes in Israel. The two northern ones became what was called the kingdom of Israel. The 10 southern ones become the kingdom of Judah. So the Assyrians come in in 734 BC, they conquer the two northern tribes, and then 10 years later, they finish the job, they conquer the 10 southern tribes. They were the first empire to, uh, to conquer and then export or uh, exile, deport, I should say, Jews, Israelites, from uh, their land to a foreign land, to a foreign place. In 587, the Babylonians, who have then conquered the Assyrians, continue uh, the, the oppression of the Israelites. They come in further into Israel, uh, and they, there's two waves of deportation from Israel back to Babylon. And then in 586, they destroyed the temple, Antiochus Epiphanes, if you know ancient history, that's a big deal. In 537, which is 200 years after the Assyrians first come, 
Some Jews are, are sent back to Israel to rebuild the temple. This is under the Medes and the Persians. The book of Daniel tells this story. Also the book of Ezra and Nehemiah tell this story. They come back and they rebuild the temple. Our Psalm, Psalm 137, comes right in the middle there. When those two waves of, of, of Jews were deported to Babylon, we get Psalm 137. So somewhere around 580-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-586-
but I don't want us to shy away from it. So often when we read the Bible, we identify with characters or uh, we see ourselves in the story. And I'll be totally honest with you. All growing up, um, in all of my theology and all of my training, I was always invited to see myself as the oppressed. To see myself or to identify with the people in the story who are oppressed. Because metaphorically speaking, I am spiritually oppressed and I am spiritually enslaved and I am spiritually under the thumb or under the, the, the influence of the enemy, right? Darkness, Satan. And so when I read the Bible or when I've read the Bible, I've, I've often found myself identifying with the people who were oppressed. I even preached that sermon last week. But what is Babylon? It's the conquering nation who exiled the people from their homeland. Would we ever stop to take the opportunity to maybe identify with a different character in the story? When we read the story of the Exodus, do we ever identify with Pharaoh? Do we ever identify with the Egyptians? In this story, what is Babylon? Here's my question. Is Babylon to Israel what America, Christianity, and the lie of white supremacy has been to indigenous people and Africans? Stop for a second and think about that one. In Psalm 137, Babylon is to Israel, like Babylon is the oppressor. They are the regime. They are the, the, the power over. They're the conquering nation. They're the colonizers. What is Babylon to us in 2020? Is it possible that white supremacy, America, Christianity has been to indigenous people and Africans what Babylon is to Israel? If there's any shred of truth to that, if there's any uh, wisdom or anything to be gained from identifying or, or making that connection, what are we to do? What do, you, like, what do you do if, as you read this story from the Bible, you actually identify with Babylon? How does that change the invitation? What am I to do? What are you to do? What are we to do? What are we to feel? What rises up in me? Is it shame? Is it lament? Is it sorrow? Is it sadness? Is it anger? And for those of us who find ourselves in majority or dominant culture, like there are some very predictable and common responses um, when we start to engage these questions. I'm actually come back to that at the end, so, so stick with me. But I don't have a, like a silver bullet on this first thread that I wanna pull. I don't have like a, here's the answer to those questions. But I wanted us to like go there. I wanted to walk us down this path and, and, and like say, okay, here we are. Now what? How do we respond? How do we feel? How do we engage? What is the invitation of the, of the scriptures which are alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword for this moment? When maybe I personally identify more with the Babylonians of Psalm 137 than I do the Israelites. So there's empire. There's the nature of it generally. And then what is Babylon to you and me? First thread. Second thread. What about Psalm 137 as resistance? Um, 
Which, this highlights the nature of literature and how it often works on many layers and many levels. Like, follow me. This psalm was written by someone and heard in its original context. And for those who heard it first, it was an honest description of reality. For those living it, it was an invitation not to forget the great liberating, you know, redemptive acts of God. It was an honest, like, outpouring of prayer driven by justice and even anger of an oppressed person or people. That was the first moment. That was when it was uttered. That was when it was written for them. For them. And then... After that, it becomes a part of a larger body of work, which I talked about earlier. This body of work that found its way into the world through oppression, through suffering. And that body of work now, as we look at it, which Psalm 137 is a part of, is a body of work, a a body of art and music that is the art or the voice of resistance. I mean, think about like some of the greatest music that we know in the world has come from suffering and oppression. Think about the spirituals that we think, that we know. Like, wade in the water, God's gonna trouble the waters. Um, let my people go, go down Moses, down into Pharaoh's land and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Uh, I, I, I haven't heard, or I, I couldn't hear nobody pray. Keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. These are all black African-American spirituals which were birthed in the middle of resistance and suffering. And they were, they were just telling the stories of the Bible, right? To the, to the white oppressors. They're just singing about, you know, the, oh, those are common stories that we know. But to each other, there were encoded messages to one another about wade in the water. It's about time to go. Something's happening. And so these, were, these weren't just songs. These weren't just music. They were literally the voices of the resistance to oppression. Uh, I'm sure that there are, like, there are PhD papers on this, uh, and there are probably be, will be more written. But like the collective human response, if you go back through time and across history to suffering and oppression, is a creative one of resistance. One where like the creative energy that rises up inside of the human and opposes that which is antithetical to the nature of God, somehow things get birthed in the midst of labor. Fascinating, right? Um, music of our day. Kill it in the name of, rage against the machine. Um, That's actually about white supremacy and police brutality. Uh, Public enemy, uh, fight the power. Sunday bloody Sunday, you too. Uh, What about um, things are, times are changing, Bob Dylan. Imagine, John Lennon, these are all songs of protest. They're songs of resistance. John Lennon's Imagine is a song about like like an invitation to imagine a world as if, what could be, which was a a statement about what is. And then, like, that's just music, but think about the images or the art or the sculptures or uh, the paintings that are in the world, right? Here's a couple I'll show you. This famously, like Banksy. You know, what is Banksy if not a resistance artist, someone who's opposing the the thumb of empire and power in the world when it's abused? Um, Here's another one, uh, an urban artist, NME. I did as much research as I could to find the authors or, or, or... originators of these, but this is one that says we can fund a war but not feed the poor, basically. Like, we've got money to fund wars, but somehow we can't figure out how to feed the poor. What is that if it's not the, the voice of resistance? Uh, here's another one. Um, you, may have, you may recognize this one. This is, comes from the Occupy Wall Street movement, and this is a, a poster that was made by Adbusters, um, which is a ballerina on top of the Wall Street bull. Like, the irony here. And then one last one, which is beautiful. Uh, it's in an article in, uh, written by a guy named Stephen Bloor from The Guardian. 
and these are tear gas gardens. So these are Palestinian, West Bank Palestinians who took tear gas canisters that were used against them and they have taken those to create gardens of beauty, gardens of, of food and of life. Psalm 137 for generations has been a piece of literary resistance. Like people, generations have come and they've entered into that story and they've prayed those prayers to accurately recount their realities, however grim they are. Not to forget the liberating nature of Yahweh, not to, and to pray the prayers that are actually in their hearts as an attempt to stand against oppression, to stand at odds or to oppose that which stands at odds with the divine. So it's important for us as we read Psalm 137 to see it for what it is. This is a psalm of resistance. This is, a, this is a work that is now a part of a body of work that was born out of suffering, which leads me to close with this question. A few conclusions. Since the majority of people who tend to awaken occupy places of power and privilege on a daily basis because the majority of people who attend this church are white, I wanna focus on uh, this last reflection, and I want to offer that to these folks. Now, I recognize that there are a number of people who don't identify with any of those markers, and I trust that like, you're connected uh, to people who you're journeying with, and I also recognize that in some ways it's not, I, I, I don't have, um, I haven't been invited to, to stand in that place and to be a pastor in that way, and for good reason. And so um, I want to say, like, as a staff, we're open if there are ways we can serve or walk alongside, but we also recognize the, the dynamic there. So if you'll allow me to just offer a few reflections with this question, what is the work of those in positions of power and of privilege? Okay, interesting ideas, Micah. Thank you for those thoughts. But now what? Like, what is the work that you're inviting us to? Here are a few of my reflections. Even last week as I was teaching, it became clear to me that for many of us, if this psalm is something that comes from oppression and being under the boot of the empire, we've never had that experience. I'll speak for myself. I've never had that experience. And so I want to be honest, and I think there's a self-reflection that's, nece that's, that, that's necessary when we read this text to say, in some ways, I can't enter that story because I have not had that experience. And how often is it the case when we talk about the songs of resistance or the art of resistance that like there are some who can hear it and there are some who can't hear it, right? To the slave owners of, of our story in America, like there was things that they couldn't hear that were being said by those singing those songs. Um, I, I've shared this story before, but there's this one moment in a movie that, I've, uh, that I remember, I think it was in the 90s, called White Men Can't Jump. And uh, Rosie Perez, Woody Harrelson, they play this couple in this movie. Uh, she's, uh, I think, African-American, um, and he is not. He's white. White men can't jump. But there's this conversation they're having about Jimi Hendrix, and Rosie Perez's character is saying, like, you can listen to Jimi Hendrix, but you can't hear Jimi Hendrix. Like, what is her character saying by saying that? Like, if you've never been under the boot of the empire, if you've never been on this side of racism or oppression or white supremacy, like, with the ears that you were born with, you can't hear the resistance. You can't hear the sounds of those voices because you've never walked it. You don't know. But good news, at least I think it, there's good news for, for me and for you in this. Good news if you resonate with my experience or, or the place from, that I'm speaking from. We can learn to hear the music. We can develop over time 
through relationships and intentionality, we can develop ears and a heart that can hear the music from someone else's perspective. And so your work, my work, is to learn how to hear the songs, the spirituals, the art of resistance of which Psalm 137 is a part of. We have to learn how to hear the songs for what they are instead of, honestly, instead of co-opting them or commercializing them or appropriating them or whitewashing them, which we often do. Um, we were having a conversation as a staff this week and this idea of double consciousness came up, came up and we were discussing it and it's like, oh yeah, that fits for what we're talking about this week. For people of color, I've been told, they've had to live out of necessity with like a double consciousness. Like the ability to, to function and, and experience the world as a person of color, but then also like simultaneously having to uh, navigate and see the world and understand the world from a white perspective because whiteness is the norm by which everything else is judged by. Another word for this is code switching. But they've literally had to like out of necessity learn how to live with a double consciousness. Is it, is, it, is it a fair invitation for people like me? Is it a fair invitation to me to develop a double consciousness? And what I mean by that is the work for me as a white male is to learn how to hear, see, think, experience the world as a person of color to the degree that I can, as a female to the degree that I can, as an immigrant, as a queer person. Why? Because it's my duty and I'm obligated to. No, because that's what love would do. That's what, that, what would Jesus do? I think Jesus would attempt to like, Im, uh, compassion is the ability to like enter one story and see from and experience from their perspective. My wife works for a company called Aaliyah and a motto around their office is do what love would do. So I'm gonna close this morning with my reflections for me in light of Psalm 137. Because I don't want to try to speak for you and I don't want to try to like give you things to do, but I'll just say, here are my reflections. Here is what I feel compelled uh, to respond to or invited to engage. A psalm of resistance, Psalm 137, a psalm of resistance to the forces in our world that oppress and seek to diminish the humanity of another. Do what love would do. Love invites me, Micah, to stay in the game. To not let up. To, to keep working out this muscle that maybe I haven't had to flex uh, so I can stay in the game for longer periods of time. Uh, for many of us, we've never had to flex this muscle and so we feel tired. Well, yeah, you, you've never worked it out, okay? I, I, my challenge for me is stay in the game. Like take a breather, get your breath back, like, uh, and get back in the game and work that muscle again so that you can stay in the game for longer periods of time. And um, Love invites me to do that, to stay in the game. Love invites me to be curious and to learn instead of being irritated or closed off. When I hear things that I don't necessarily agree with or that I maybe have questions about or I see from a different perspective, instead of being irritated and closed off, love invites me to be curious. Like what if we, what if we went through life with the motto of be curious? When you find something you disagree with or you, you don't understand or maybe you see differently than another person, be curious, like why? Why do you see it from that perspective? Tell me how you got there. What are the, what are the experiences or the authors or the podcasts or the people who have spoken into your life that have led you to that place to believe what you believe? Like be curious, in, literally and, and honestly. 
So love invites me to be curious and to learn instead of being irritated or closed off. Love invites me to lay down my life. Love invites me to lay down my life, my privilege, my power in service of others because I follow Jesus. This one for me, I just, I'm gonna keep banging this drum. I don't think it's that hard. When you read the gospels and you understand the life of Jesus and what Jesus was about and the kind of power that Jesus wielded, it's the kind of power that laid it, Jesus used power and laid down his life in service of others. So love invites me to do that in whatever way I feel the spirit of God inviting me to do that. And last, I would say love invites me to work, to engage, to act for justice and to dismantle whatever privileges one human at the cost of another, which leads me to next week. So a little teaser as we close, actually. Next week, I have never, next week's July 4th weekend. I've never preached an Independence Day sermon. But next week, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna preach an Independence Day sermon based on the Pledge of Allegiance. Do you guys remember that? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America for which it stands, one nation under God, you know, to the Republic for which it stands. Um, I, I think the last time I recited that was when I was in sixth grade. Um, but I'm gonna preach a sermon based on the Pledge of Allegiance. And the reason I'm doing that is because I wanna explore justice. We talk about justice all the time. Justice for George, justice for this, justice for that. And people mean all kinds of different things about justice, but what does the Bible actually say about justice? So love invites me to work for justice, to dismantle, to tear down whatever privileges me at cost to someone else, which gets to, I think, a biblical vision of justice. So that's a little teaser for next week. But as we close this morning, those are a few of my reflections as it relates to Psalm 137. Love invites me to stay in the game. Love invites me to be curious and to learn instead of be irritated and closed off. Love invites me to lay down my life, whatever privilege or power I have, in service of another. And love invites me to work for justice in whatever way that the Spirit of God invites me and leads me to do so. So what is love inviting you to do? If 1 John says that God is love, and the book of Hebrews says that Jesus represents, is the icon, the manifestation, the, the exact representation of God, then Jesus is love. What does love, what does Jesus, what is Jesus inviting you to do? So you think about Psalm 137. How do you enter that story? Who do you relate to? What characters in the story do you identify with more? And in light of that, what is love inviting you to do? To be, to feel, to respond to? Pray with me. God, as we move to a few moments of silence, I wanna ask that you would lead and guide my brothers and sisters, uh, many who I know and love, many who I don't, wherever they are, whatever they're doing. So in the next few moments of silence, would you prompt lead, guide, speak, prod, poke, challenge, invite me and my friends to become more and more like this Jesus that we follow.
Before we make our way to the table and to communion, uh, we've asked our friend Sarah to come and be with us today. So thank you, Sarah, for being here. Um, but also just to share a moment or uh, share a word or two about this next song, which is, uh, I think, a fitting way to come out of this teaching. So, Sarah. Yeah, this song is about pretty much what you were talking about. Uh, in 2007, I went on a pretty traditional uh, missions trip. And there was a sense that we were bringing something um, to people that needed something. And when we got there, we were going to Rwanda. At the same time, I was learning about um, people uh, through the work of IJM who were coming out of bonded labor and different things. And my uh, eyes were really open to the reality that people who have suffered have they know my God in ways that I don't know him. And so I worked on that year a record to basically say, tell me what you know in that same hopefully curious spirit. Tell me what you know about God in the human soul and the world and how things work because I am in my own uh, corner where I've only done all this spiritual work on myself. I haven't understood God the way those that fight and have to struggle, um, the way that they understand God and, and saw that as my great lack. And so moving from that, that view of kind of, I'm superior, I'm bringing something down, um, but instead to see um, you have this really rich knowledge because of what you've endured. And uh, you know God in a way that I don't know.
as we make our way to the table, I want to remind you on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. So whenever you eat of it, remember me. Like, don't forget these things that I've taught you and this way that I have invited you to live in the world. Let my body be an example of it. And in the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is a, a new covenant, which will be written with my own blood. And it's a new deal between God and man, God and humanity a new way of organizing this thing called the good news, the kingdom of God. And so whenever you drink of this cup, uh, remember me and, and don't forget. So this table is the table of the Lord, not of the church. <laughs> and it's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith or you who have very little, maybe just a shred of faith. You who have been here often or maybe haven't been here for a long time or never before. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Um, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come not because I invite you or the church invites you or the institution invites you, but because the resurrected Christ, the living God invites you to come and be fed, to be filled up. Um, to receive this Eucharist, this good gift, so that you can become a good gift to the world. So as you take the bread, I invite you to hear these words, the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat, my friends. As you take the cup, I invite you to hear these words, the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. As you go to wherever it is you're going, um, I want to leave you with this benediction, one that I have given, I don't know, a hundred times. Uh, in the book of Numbers, in the sixth chapter, God says, okay, Moses, here's what you're to do. Here's how you are to bless the people. And he gives him this, what we know is the ironic blessing. And... Uh, Moses like gets to, to, to do this, to like stand before the people and to say, hey, here's a reminder. Regardless of what you feel, regardless of what you've experienced, regardless of what you think is true, I wanna state to you these things which are true. And so I stand in a long tradition of men and women who have come before me who get to do this. So receive this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace and with the grace of God surrounding you. See you next week. facebook.com backslash awaken community or on twitter awaken community see you next time